Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need when you need it with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. My favorite thing to do after a talk when people want to come up and get into it is like, what did you take a picture of? And Mm. when did you check your phone? Nice. And that way you get like both sides of the story. Like where was the thing that really slapped? And then where was the thing where they were like, I could probably live without this. <laughs> and and whenever the thing that they check their phone on is also not fun for me. Yeah. That's got, got to go. It. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more people positive and complexity conscious way of working. Whoa. And I'm joined by my co-host, Aaron Dignan. Sorry, I interrupted you. It's all right. Hello. How are you? <laughs> um, shitty. I'm just, I'm fine. I, but if you keep making me laugh, then I'm going to be paralyzed from <laughs> the waist down. I have a back injury and Aaron's unhelpful. You say who you are and I'll <laughs> say who I am more, more gently then. <laughs> I'm Rodney Evans and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Aaron Dignan. Hello, everyone. On today's episode, we are going to talk about the end of the beginning or how you keep the spark alive in the ways of working world. But before we do that, Aaron's going to lead a check-in round for us. That's right. I want to check in and I would normally ask what has our attention, but I'm going to go in a different route. What secret do you wish you had? What secret do you wish you had that you would then, you know, tell just a few of us? I wish that I was secretly like a titled royal somewhere. <laughs> Princess Rodney of Yeah, of like the Monaco or somewhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just think it would be fun when people are like, why do you have such good table manners to be randomly like, well, funny story. <laughs> I it's like that. Because my dad is a king. I like that. I I I did go there a little bit in my head, but I think what I'm going to say is I wish that I was the secret inventor of something. Oh. Right? So like, you know, not to be too of the moment, but it could be Bitcoin. That would be fine. (laughs) But also it could be something else like the stapler or something where people Uh just be like, what? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Afraid so. Yeah. Swing line. That's my original last name. I think that someone, I might be making this up. I think someone in my family invented the cellophane wrap that goes around cigarettes wild yeah i there wasn't like money in it because you know they like worked for a company who t- you know took all of the but they were on the team idea. the name no i think pattern. it was their idea and it was just taken full, from full them stop. and then and then used Ooh. yeah there were a lot of well, really smart pleasant. smart people in my family that's not it, pleasant i am distantly related to alexander graham bell the inventor well, of the telephone. that's, so that's something real. also yeah, not but a i didn't do the work no <laughs> Okay, so we're going to talk about keeping this spark alive. And I'm going to start by asking you, because it was your idea to do this topic. Mm. How do you think about this trajectory? 
You go from having nothing to having something that's pretty shitty, then evolving that thing into something decent in terms of a way of working, a process, a role, whatever your thing is. And then how do you not get complacent about it? How do you keep the evolutionary spirit alive in your company? I think it's it's an interesting question, and it's not one that I have an immediate like knee-jerk answer to. I think it's something that we have maybe figured out in feel, but not codified, which is why I wanted to get into it. Because what I experience in healthy, fairly flexible, emergent companies and cultures is that you do start with nothing. Like nothing works in the beginning because yeah. you're inventing right. everything. Then you get to some sort of stability and and then things do change in fits and starts. And as you look back, you can go through this whole chronology of how things have evolved. And this came up today in one of our already meetings where we were talking about the the history of compensation at the ready. And it was like, you know, if you really roll back the clock, there's been a lot of iterations of that. Yes. Like I remember negotiating someone's annual salary in the first year, right? Yeah. So we're we're way fine. There have been all these little adjustments along the way. So there's something about that that I really like that it, it does seem, it always seems like we're on the cusp of, of possibility in our environment. Mm-hmm. And yet when you look at, at more traditional systems, it does feel like a lot of people are dead behind the eyes. Like mm-hmm. there is a little bit of, let's just keep this train on the tracks. Our job is to be stewards of a thing that works. Don't fuck it up kind yeah. of attitude. And so I wanted to explore both how do you avoid that but also, how do you maybe even do better than we're doing? Like, what would be the ingredients of a system that doesn't get stuck and that doesn't get stale as we enter the second half of our first decade? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like in in big companies and systems, it's like it can be even more pernicious than just complacency. It's like we start to do gymnastics in order to prop up things that should naturally degrade. <laughs> you know, it's like me. I was going to say how many times in your job, but you haven't had those shitty jobs <laughs> that I've had. Like how many times in my job was it like, oh, well, like this is the system that we have to use for people to actually get paid. But the system where we do the reporting was a custom built system and it's somewhere else. So you have to put the information in there. But then also the way that like we get the information is in an Excel spreadsheet. So like it's three, it's three places. <laughs> where we're doing the same thing. And it's like, obviously, we should be reinventing this process whole cloth. But at a minimum, we shouldn't be spending all of our time propping up things that definitely should not exist, which is like, that's a real, that's a real ass problem. It is. And I think the, the difference or the subtlety between what I'm curious about and and just org debt generally, is that in a lot of those systems, there isn't a lot of joy or energy or hope or fun and that's sort of an assumed default yeah like you're just like you come in and by the the moment you start it's like hey this is a bureaucracy you're here to get paid you're here to you know move up the ladder but no one's expecting anything different yeah whereas i think what's more interesting and potentially more um tragic is when you do have a system that has that energy and that and that youthfulness of like we still enjoy working here and, yeah. and together and then to not lose that by somehow hitting the wall of like, well, we have business lines, we have ways of doing things and, and we have things that work and we need to keep them working. Right. And and you kind of end up being slowly, you slowly slice the cheese until there's no block left. 
Yeah, and you like slip toward mediocrity. Yeah, so exactly. I, I have a I have a real world example to ask you about. Okay, good. So I feel like you get the itch on, on some cadence uh-huh. to change our brand uh-huh. design. Uh huh. So this to me feels like a place where, like, if I look at assets from the ready from when I joined, which was like maybe in the ready's like eighth month of existence or something like that. Yeah. I would say those things that are, oh, it was this month, like six years ago. I would say those things still to me look better than much of what I see in the world. And Uh yet we've had like (laughs) several revisions. So just to put a fine point on an example, what is it that happens to you in your brain in terms of looking at the asset or sensing trends more broadly or whatever that makes you be like, you know what? It's time. We got to change these fucking fonts. Let's go. I'm glad that you brought up that example because I thought you were going to say that I'm a guy who flogs new tools a lot. Oh, I don't even want to talk about that. My back hurts and I'll just get mad at you. (laughs) Which is a different thing. But I'm glad you brought up (laughs) this because, because it actually shows me that there's a bit of a like positive and negative space or or a drilling down and an expanding up thing going on in my head. Mm. There are some things wh- where I think that the the iteration of the company, the culture, the experience is about getting to like a deeper truth. Mm. Like the way Michelangelo used to talk about like the sculptures in there. I just have yeah, to get it out. Chip away at it. That there's the brand feels like that to me where it's like I'm not looking at oh. it being like this is old or stale or wrong. I'm looking at it being like there's there's a better sculpture in there. Like if we keep digging a little bit, we get closer to the truth. Mm. And and so it's not about reinvention, it's about like truth seeking. Whereas with other things, it is more like with pay, for example, it is more about like what's possible. Like where yeah. could we go from yeah. here that we haven't explored? It's more exploratory energy and it's more about discovery and expansion of the company and the brand and the and the places we play where I want to be I want to have more territory to play with. Mm. And then other things where it's like, no, there's a, there's like a deep truth we have to keep digging to get to. So do you, so on the brand thing, do you fundamentally believe that there is a truth in there that someday your shovel is going to hit and then we're going to be done? <laughs> Cause I don't believe you. I believe all. that that is the ideology. Oh, okay. But the pattern is that it's never done. Well, because I'm only I'm only poking at that because as a person who does a lot of work on things like compensation at the ready, I like I don't believe that there is one truth right. or one way that I am ultimately going to find. Right. But I do feel like we will keep evolving forever. Yeah. And I'm yeah. always going to have the itch of like, what else could we try? I think the way to to square the circle of what you're talking about or circle the square. What do people say? I'm not sure. Um, they do. They say something with shapes. the The way to to get between those two ideas is that if the truth is moving, then you could still be chipping for it and 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 like refining and digging and and making something more beautiful. But also, it is a little bit of a moving target, right? Yeah. Like it is. It, you know, what's true about us and where we're going and what we stand for. Of course, that's evolving. Like it's not like that's a static thing. But the experience of hunting for it is more of an experience of like does this resonate deeply in your chest mm. and less of an experience of like, this is exciting. Let's build another train station, which is how uh-huh. I feel about some of our 
like new lines of business and new experiments that we're doing is more like new places on the board. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So so I'm curious for you what you've either seen or done when things do get or feel stale. Nothing. Like what I'm are... just like, you guys, this is great. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. What 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 have I done? What have we tried? So there's something. So I want to talk for a second about inside of client work because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Allie and I in a project that we were in, we were in this project a few years ago that like by all accounts was like not my favorite project on earth. But Part of why was because the client was like very inattentive and didn't actually really want to do the work. And what Allie and I decided at that time was because we're not really that busy with them and we're spending our time trying to get busy with them, we are going to spend our time like noticing the things about our practices that kind of irritate us and reinventing those things. And it's like we had a way of crafting essential intent. And that was the period of time where Allie and I like sat on my deck and created a self-guided workbook for getting to a new essential intent. And like we had a way of doing team chartering. And that was the period of time where Allie and I were like, don't you always die a little bit inside when you're facilitating a team charter? What would like the (laughs) more like enlivening and lighter version of this look like? And we like changed the prompts and we changed the fields and we changed it. And I would say there were probably like seven or eight things in those four months that we just, because we had some time and some capacity and because we're longtime partners, we kind of tuned into like, what about this is boring to us mm-hmm, or is sloggy mm-hmm. to us? Or a question I'd love to ask is like, which thing feels like it's harder than it should be? And like just sort of digging into the way that we do that thing to be like, what would the easy version look like? What would the fun version look like? What would the light, what would the fast, what would the deep, like what would the versions of this look like that are more appealing to us from an experience perspective? And then like designing backward from that. I really like that because it speaks to the layers of, of mastery in a way where you're basically saying like, okay, shoe level is, by the book. So for a business or a consulting engagement or whatever, it's kind of like, what are the things that we just have to do to get this thing off the ground? Yeah. And then the we high the level is like, mm, I'm going to break some rules. I'm going to reinvent a little bit. And then the re-level is like the things that we played with become the new playbook. And I, I think that you're right that when things get stale, it's often because they have, they've only gone to the shoe level. Mm. They've, they basically have been like, this is working. It's paying the bills. Like this slide gets the job done every time. So it doesn't matter if you enjoy it. And what I like about your question that you and Allie were asking is it's saying that's not good enough. Yeah. Like just it working and making you money and the customer's happy, not good enough. Yeah. Like I actually want to take it to the next level and have it be something that brings us laughter or joy or energy or whatever. And to me, that is so varsity. And I really like it. It's so fun. It feels very like Conway's law to me where it's like, Mm -hmm. how are you going to how are you going to say, here's a practice that I am coaching a client to do, and I want it to feel energizing and novel to them, but like I am doing it with half attention 
and just as a total slog. You just can't. You just can't. So so I think that the the hack there is like when you have mastery of something, don't ignore the voice in your head that goes like, this is fucking boring. And don't be like, but it's good <laughs> enough for them. Be like, but right. what would it, but like what if I was what would it do to this interaction if I was excited about how we did user manual to me? Yeah. That's how we got a new user manual to me, is because I was like, this is fucking boring. And even though the clients are happy, I want a version of this that lights me up. So that's what I'm aiming for. Yeah, I love that. And I think that there is, there's something to that standard of, is it, is it working for me? And how do I, how do I tune into that? And it's, it's hard because I think sometimes people will feel like, well, maybe I'm the exception or maybe other people are feeling it or what have you. And it's also hard to know, like, when am I reinventing the wheel? Yeah. You know, because you there is a risk. There's a shadow side to this energy, which is like, let's just change everything all the time. Am I and just it's like, thing? Yeah. And that yeah. doesn't feel like what this is. This is like really icing the cake and, and really putting, you know, new flourishes on it. The thing that I uh, really relate this to is actually public speaking. Because... I, that's so funny. I was going to ask you about this as an really? example. Oh, how funny. All right. Yes. I didn't even look at the at the notes yet. So, well, what were you going to ask? Now I want to I want to put well, it back to you. I was just going to say, I am not part of your speech creating process, but I do notice that like new dank nugs will appear or you'll have a new way of talking about something. And like what I know is, again, the OG version lands and it works and we give it. And so, again, it's like a similar it's a similar question of like, when and how do you decide to put a fresh coat of paint on it. Yeah. I'm glad you asked that because I actually think what's going on for me, I mean, how many times have I given the Brave New Work talk at this 17, point? 17,000. A lot of times. It's got to be in the hundreds, not in the not in the dozens. One of the things I've noticed about it is that there there is a skeletal structure to it so that I know roughly mm. where we're coming from and where we're going. And I have some confidence in that skeleton. Like that is, you know, if you, if you draw that skeleton, you're going to get, a jaguar, you know, every yeah. time. Yeah. But, and I also even have little, little touches, little bits, little pieces of icing where I'm like, if I say that that way, I'm going to get a laugh. Like that's mm-hmm. going to land. But what's weird is you do end up finding the places where you don't either have that guaranteed slap or really good bones. And you're like, mm, that part's still not good enough. And so even yeah. though it, it passes the sniff test, in the midst of all these other good bits, for me, it's like, I just end up going back to that part and be like, mm, that still isn't it. Yeah. And so it is like, it's a chance to to riff within a working structure, which I think is another good example of how to not let things get stale without destroying what's working is like, let the thing that's working work, but what's one part that you can play with? So instead of reinventing the whole meeting, can you take the worst part of the meeting and riff on that and keep the other good nugs in place? Which... I think generally speaking, our our corporate cultural ideology is always like throw the whole thing out or keep the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, tear it up. As opposed to just like, you could just change the middle part. Right, right. Yeah. It's so funny. I feel like I this is like, we should have just had Allie here because I'm going to keep talking about her. Hi, Allie. <laughs> Hi, Allie. Love you. I feel like this is a thing that both you and Allie are like very skilled at that I've learned a lot from working with you both where it's like, I I have such a tendency to be like, let's like lay it all out and look at it. And I feel like you both can be very surgically like, 
no, this is this is where the tumor is. We're just going to cut out the tumor. Right. Stop. <laughs> stop paying attention to the rest of the body. We don't need to. So um, so I, I really appreciate that. It also brings up for me, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, user feedback. Because mm-hmm. a thing that I notice, it's funny, in speeches, this is this is a thing that has come up for me. Like, there are, of course, there's the immediate feedback in the room that is important and valuable and that you obviously pay attention to, and so do I. And then there are things where like, I remember when we first made the org debt cycle as part of developing the course. And for those who haven't taken the course or been to one of the speeches where we talked about it, the org debt cycle is this idea that like individual unmet needs ultimately kick off a cycle that lead to more bureaucracy or more chaos at the systemic level. And there's an article about it that Allie and I wrote and you should Google it. But (laughs) my point is, I remember when I first started talking about the org debt cycle, I was like, do people get this? Because I felt like I had confused faces and it, the visual felt heavy. And so like I, I fussed around with like creating more of an anecdote around each side. And then I stripped that away and went back to it. And after like two or three times of doing it, I was just like, I'm not really sure about this. And then I started really tuning in to how many people during the Q&A actually brought it up. It was a Mm. lot. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of people. And it's like, it was a slow burn. It wasn't like, I didn't get an immediate hit from it, but it was a slow burn and people came back to it and people would, like, I'd get a LinkedIn message two weeks later. They'd be like, I'm still thinking about that fucking org debt cycle. So I'm only saying that out loud to say, I do often think that when you are like the author of the thing or the design or the inventor of the thing, it's very easy to be like, here's the part that I think is most important. And so here's, this is a part we will never change. And actually like who gives a shit if the user is like, no, (laughs) it's, it's actually like six slides forward, or this is the step of the hiring process that's important, or this is the part of the compensation stack that's important or whatever. It's like the the designer only has so much information. And this is where I think user input is super, super important. It comes back to goals. Mm. Which is, you know, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to intellectually stimulate yourself? Are you trying to get people to realize something or do something or have a certain kind of experience? And so even within the design and, and you know, OS of the ready, there is an ambition about the kind of experience that the people that work here will have yeah, and the kind of impact that we'll have in the world. And so those goals always push the system to keep moving in the direction of those goals. And if the goal was just to like make me feel good or whatever, right. like we would have been done a long time ago. So right. I so I do think that there's there's something to that. And I think it is incumbent on the creators, designers, proposers, doesn't matter the context, to like really ask for both sides of that coin. Cause when you were talking about the the org debt cycle, it reminded me that my favorite thing to do after a talk when people want to come up and get into it, it's like, what'd you take a picture of? And mm. when did you check your phone? Nice. And that way you get like both sides of the story. Like where was the thing that really slapped? And then where was the thing where they were like, I could probably live without this. <laughs> and and whenever the thing that they check their phone on is also not fun for me. Yeah. That's got, got to go. It. If yeah. it works for me and not them, it might be okay. If it works for them and not me, that might be okay. But if both of us are checking our phone <laughs> mentally for that slide, that shit's gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I I also think, you know, I've learned a lot about this in 
you know, just in doing design work in general, but probably at the within the ready more than at clients, no one who's a user of a workflow or a policy or an agreement really cares how much you know about it as the designer <laughs> of that thing and like yeah. what you were thinking and how fucking smart you were when you I made it. This. And so like I, I this has probably happened to me most in hiring of anything, but I'll definitely in terms of complacency and the and the narrative I can create for myself, I'll like hear candidate feedback that is critical about some part of the process. And in my mind, I'm like, you just don't understand it, mm-hmm. which is a process flaw if they mm-hmm. didn't get it, probably. Right. And like you you don't understand like what we're trying to do here. And also then it's very easy to be like, well, show me a process is better. <laughs> which like you fucking can't. And that is not a good reason to like dig your heels in, right? Yes. So like, I notice those two things will come up and not just in hiring, but in all kinds of places where some someone will come up with a critique or an idea or a provocative question. And, and I can very easily and defensively be like, A, you just don't get it. And B, it's still better than X. And yeah. it's like both of those are super lazy responses because even shitty feedback is important feedback if your user is like not using well. Totally. You, you don't understand my genius is my knee-jerk response to everything. <laughs> and it's totally useless because if you think about the like, sorry to hurt your ribs, <laughs> your back. I'm like collapsing in my booth. Okay. The, the artists and creators in history who were recognized after their death posthumously they didn't get any joy out of that. They didn't yeah. get any any impact out of that. So it doesn't really matter if the painting is amazing, but no one gets it if yeah. your goal is to experience the impact of your work. Right. And so I do think like that is something that I've constantly had to work on. And it is a it's a kind of staleness, right? Because yes, when course. we talk about the end of the beginning, like if you get to an impasse where you're like this is perfect, I'm a genius, and y'all don't understand me, and everyone who's experiencing your product, whatever it is, your art, your policy, or whatever, are like, this doesn't work, we don't yeah, get it, Exactly. then then you you haven't arrived at a stasis that's going to work. And, and it is like really calling for what's the missing piece? Like, how do we split the difference? Or what, what else is needed to, to unblock it? So I, I'm very glad you said that. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's like the the whole like all feedback is good feedback and the exercise of being like, how could this be true? I feel like a lot of times the things that have pushed my thinking in past companies as well as here is someone having a really strong counter reaction to something that I want to try or that I'm proposing or that I'm sharing. And in the moment when I can suspend my reactivity and be like, huh, like how how is that thing true? And what might that mean? Usually, look, usually it makes something better. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I do I do think there's like an energy management sensing takeaway from all of this conversation, which is about if you don't want to let things get complacent or stale or stuck, you have to start to tune into where does energy come from mm. and where is it going? Mm-hmm. And so if it's going into dealing with bullshit, then that's killing that energy. Right. Where does the energy want to flow to? What gives people that spark? And we have to be, 
I think we have to be in pursuit of that at all times. And especially at times where, like you said, you sort of listen to yourself and you're going, wait a second, this just isn't working for me anymore. This is still, this is too boring or not fun enough or what have you. There are energy cues all throughout the organization. And for me, the hard part to figure out about keeping things fresh or moving into the next is sometimes you'll sense something that is the next and the energy won't be there immediately. Yeah. And so like, I mean, just to, I know know, your, I know your jam on this. Right. Uh huh. So there have been, there have been times even in the last year where I've been like, Hey, everyone look over there, an elephant. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. An elephant. But, and maybe I'm wrong, right? Sometimes, of course I'm wrong sometimes, but the, but the point is like, Anyone who is that sensor or that noticer might not get that immediate energy hit. But the trick is to figure out, is is the pointing out of it giving you energy? Yeah. Right? Like, if, if you have a renewable energy source around something you're noticing, like our hiring process isn't right, or our comp is not what it could be, or we should have an office in Singapore, then that's the first thing to tune into. And then the second thing to tune into is like, where where is the other energy flowing that is missing this or that can connect to this? Yeah. So it it feels to me like there there's some kind of energy intelligence piece to this that we have intuitively, but that we could get way smarter about. This brings up one other thing I really wanted to talk about, which is noticing things that are outside of your organization or your team or your purview in terms mm-hmm. of staleness. So it's like right right now in the world the hilarity to me of of companies trying to enforce like dress codes when like <laughs> people are just like fuck you i live in mexico now you know it's just like bro they're not putting on khakis just let it <laughs> let it go but i but i think to the point that you just made about like look over there there's an elephant there is a balance right between being inspired by what is happening in the world paying attention not just to competitors but to like adjacent industries and movements and changes that are happening and kind of knowing like where you are in an adoption curve i i feel like i have interactions a lot where people are like yeah we're really thinking about that like about using that slack that like f- that very future and i'm like slack is not new you guys right. let's right easy you know and 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 that's not even necessarily a criticism of those people but i am right. like the fact that you don't have an awareness of what is new and where you are lagging is probably not great and similar right. to like you know you being like hey everybody web3 is coming let's fucking go it's like pay attention to the signals and also pay attention to where you are in adoption and where you want to be like where you really want to be a first mover and where you're like, let's see how this pans out and where you're like, we'll place a small bet and see if it pays. Like, I just think there's something in there. I agree. And the idea of if something that is somewhat mainstream feels like it's just now possible Mm. for your organization, that's a clue about like where the energy is and what's trapped and what isn't. Cause you really want to get the organization to a place where at the fringes, anything is possible. Yeah. And at the center or at the core, there's a little bit of like healthy resistance. Yeah. But you, but you never want to be in a place where it's like, oh yeah, we're getting excited about this cable TV thing. (laughs) You know, like that, that just means that there's so much brittleness that you, you've lost the plot. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think that I would like to see more companies paying more attention to phase shifts, doing more like, interdisciplinary 
reading and field trips and listening and attentiveness and then deciding how they're going to experiment. Because what I often see is even when they have an experimentation muscle that they're building, they're not like really being inspired by the environment in the way they could be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the end of the beginning and the beginning of the end of this. Very short, but I think very punchy. <laughs> episode. I feel punchy. Uh, If you like what you're hearing, please, please leave us a review. It would mean so much to us or forward our show to somebody who needs it. Quick tip of the chapeau to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good every time. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work and keep it fresh. You can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. And as for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something.